It sounds like you're starting to wake up. Amen? Someone on the way in said, Pastor Joe, 9 a.m., that is really early for a first service. And it is, right? But thank you for being here. Welcome to our first service. And uh, you're the guinea pigs, and I get the warm-up on you guys, okay? And so uh, we're going to jump right in uh, to Genesis chapter 37, because I'm not sure how much time it will take. The, the hardest thing about a series is starting a series and kind of introducing it. And, uh, and it's hard to know how much people know about Joseph. You know, obviously a, a lot of people know the overall story of Joseph, but, you know, do you go into a lot about his family? Do we go into all of that? You know, who are his parents and uh, grandparents and great-grandparents and things like that? Uh, because a lot of that plays into what happens in the story. I can put it like this if I were to kind of try to condense it. Understand this, that the family of Joseph... Uh, his, his father being Jacob, and then his multiple wives, and his brothers, and there's the 12 sons, and they have some sisters as well, and there was a sister that's mentioned named Dinah. Let me just put it like this, very dysfunctional, okay? If there were, if, if there were a dysfunctional family, by the way, just the whole, it's, it goes back, I mean, it goes back, and it's, it's total, total dysfunction, Okay? But yet, aren't you thankful that in the midst of all of us being broken and dysfunctional, that God can still even use us? Amen? I mean, it, it, and that's what this story really is. It, it really starts out really giving us a little bit of the history and talking a little bit about Jacob and his sons and the conflict that's going on within this home and within this family. Uh, so our theme or our title for our series which will be going on for about seven or eight weeks is this. It's Joseph, um, and then we have this kind of this thought is this. It's God's sovereign hand in our lives. And if we really allow that, just that main thought, as we think about the life of Joseph, but not only his life, but your lives as well, my life, is that in the midst of all the ups and downs and turmoil and tragedy and trauma and struggle, that God was at work in his life. And that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And we'll definitely be speaking of that here in a moment. But let's go to Genesis chapter 37. And if you would follow along with me. And uh, we'll just kind of let the Holy Spirit kind of lead. Because this is more of an introduction. And we'll see how the Spirit leads. You ready? So Genesis 37. It says, Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed. Now, anyone remember who Jacob's father is? Oh boy, we got, see, this is what I'm talking about. What's that? Isaac. All right, so you have Isaac. All right, so he's going back to the land where his father, uh, Isaac, had stayed. In the land of Canaan. That's present day Israel. And it says this, this is the account of Jacob's family, uh, his family line. And then it's going to introduce Joseph. But before I do, let me just go back just a little bit. Just for a pause, just for a little bit, because I have a feeling people are putting all this together. Let's go back to a man by the name of Abraham. How do you remember Abraham? Married to Sarah. <laughs> Abraham married to, to Sarah. Okay, you're going to see a name mentioned here in a moment when we read Genesis, Ishmael. All right, Abraham married to Sarah. 
God promised through Abraham would be a great nation. That nation we know today to be the nation of Israel. All right? And so he makes this promise. But many, many years go by. And they have no child. And they begin to question God. And a long story short, Sarah says to Abraham, well, use, take this handmaid and we can have a child through her. That's Old Time, Old Testament surrogate, okay? This is Old Testament. Old, and so you're going you're gonna to have a child through my handmaid. But that was not what God's plan was and that was not what God said would happen. He said, you will have your own child. And so they have a son and his name is Ishmael, all right? The Ishmaelites. Ishmael, they'll be mentioned here in a moment. So understand, they're all family. And God said, this was not my plan, this is not the way, and now there'll be a struggle and a contention between the two. But later we know that God keeps his promises and that God is going to make a great nation through Abraham and he has his son Isaac, his one and only son, remember? And then Isaac later is sent and, and goes and the servant is sent and he finds a wife for him and Isaac has who uh, as his wife? Anyone remember? Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. And Isaac and Rebecca, they're going to have two sons. Anyone remember names of their sons? One of them's mentioned here. We're talking about him. His name is Jacob, who later becomes Israel. You guys tracking? This gets complicated, doesn't it? They have two sons. By the way, they're twins. Esau is the firstborn, but as he's being born, it says that Jacob was hanging on to his heel as he came out and as they were born. And boy, that was before epidurals and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, whoo, you know? And so she gives birth to twins, but remember, there's this contention between the two, and here's where all the dysfunction really begins because there's favoritism, and mom, you know, she, she loved Jacob. And, and, and we see that, and I keep, it's hard to keep track of this. And you have Isaac who loves Esau. And Esau is not really that concerned about things. And Jacob, holding on to the heel of his brother, he wanted the blessing. So remember, and I got to really condense this. Remember, he tricks his brother, deceives his brother. And guess who helps out? Mom helps out and deceives their her own husband, and they lie. They even put like hair from an animal on, on, on Jacob's arms because it says that Esau was a hairy man and, and Jacob wasn't. And they disguise the food and they make it taste like it's wild venison, like a wild animal. And one's a hunter and one is more of a, you know, t tends to sheep. And one's kind of the mama's boy and the other one's the daddy's boy. And it causes this friction anyway. A long story short, what does Jacob do? He tricks his brother tricks his own father into receiving the blessing and the birthright, which was huge. And Esau even, remember, he sold it for a bowl of, of pottage, just a little bowl of, of, of lentils. He says, you can have my birthright. I don't care. Of course, later he gets angry about it. Anyway, Jacob has to leave because mom hears that Esau says, I'm going to kill my brother. And they say, you need to go. You need to go, Jacob, leave and go. You deceived your father, you deceived your brother, your brother wants to kill you, and you need to leave. And so Jacob leaves, and he goes back to the land of his heritage, and there he goes to stay with Laban, 
who will become his future father-in-law. Everyone's still tracking. I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but it's important. Laban is so much like Jacob because Jacob falls in love with his younger, most beautiful daughter, his beautiful daughter, Rachel, right? I want to make sure of the right names. Yes, Rachel. And he's in love with her. And so Laban's like, I'm going to use this for everything I can get out of it. He says, you have to work for me for seven years, and then you can marry Rachel. And so he works seven years, and the Bible says he loves her so much, and this is his true love, that he labors seven years, and it says it appeared to him as just a few days because of his love for her. And on the wedding day, Dad tricks, Uncle Laban tricks his nephew and he has her completely dressed and covered and veiled and all of these things. And he goes in and, you know, consummates the marriage and all of this stuff and realizes the next morning that he was tricked. And here it was Leah, the older sister. And he says, well, if you want to marry my daughter, Rachel, you're going to have to work another seven years. And by the way, what goes around comes around, Right? What you sow, you will reap. You deceive and you trick, you will be deceived and tricked. And so, man, here he is. He has to work another seven years. And so for another seven years, he labors and works so that he can marry uh, Rachel and have Rachel. And so now he has these two wives. And then they bring in two handmaids. And in the midst of all of this, they're going to have children. Laban is trying to deceive and trick Jacob. Jacob eventually with his wives and children, they, they have to flee and they leave. They flee and they leave and they're coming back to the, the land of, of, of his father here as we just read. And we're going to continue with the story, but I'll keep giving you little bits of information as we go because there's so much here. So Jacob, with his sons and his children comes back and he settles in the land of Canaan where his father was. And you can read that he came back and he actually buries his father. He makes amends with Esau on his way back. But notice what happens. It says, Joseph, he's being introduced, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. Now notice this. It says the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Now these are the two other kind of... Uh, one of four wives, if you will. Two were wives, the other two were, I guess you'd use the term concubines. And this creates unbelievable amount of dysfunction, hatred, and jealousy. But notice what happens. It says this, his father's, uh, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So he's giving his father a bad report. Now, I'll keep this very short, but let me tell you something. This family is dysfunctional. Joseph's brothers are not necessarily the best of guys. If you want to do some own reading, you can go back to Genesis chapter 34. And a couple of the brothers literally went in and killed an entire city. They had a sister named Dinah who was, was basically defiled. But then they said, well, we want to marry your sister. And they tricked them. And they said, if you want to marry our sister, then all the men, all the men in the city, if you want to marry our sister and marry our sisters, then all the men must be circumcised. And the Bible says they did it deceitfully. It was premeditated. And they had a plan for it. And so when all the men agreed to this from Shechem, and by the way, I have to tell you this because this is a part of the story. This is where we're going to end up seeing Joseph go here in a moment. So bear with me, okay? They're in the land of Shechem. 
when they're on their way back to Canaan and they kind of stay there. And while they're there, their sister Dinah was, a man basically went out and slept with her, defiled her. But then he said, well, I love her and I want to marry her. And the brothers were angry and they were upset. And they came up with a scheme. They said, well, then all of you must be circumcised if you want to marry our, our sister and if you want to basically intermarry with us. And so when the men, full-grown men and teenage guys, and all of them had the surgery, the Bible says that Joseph's brothers wait a couple of few days, and while they're in pain, and while they're suffering, they come in and they kill all of the men. They, they kill them all. In cold blood, they just murder them. And they take their sister and they bring her back. Well, then a couple of the other brothers, this is in Genesis 34, a couple of the other brothers, when they see that the city was, that all the men were, were, were killed, a couple of the other brothers of Joseph say, hey, this is a great opportunity. They completely loot and plunder the city. They take everything valuable. They take their livestock and their animals. They take it all. And then it says they take the women and the children. And most likely, like what they did with Joseph, I'm assuming they sold them into slavery. These are really good boys, by the way, right? When Rachel dies, she's giving birth. Joseph was her, she had two sons, Joseph. The other one was, remember the youngest one, Benjamin. Right after Benjamin is being born, as, she's being born, as he's being born, Rachel dies. Reuben goes in and has sexual relations with one of the wives of Jacob. Do you understand these are not good boys? Can, are you with me? So a lot of times when we hear the teaching and preaching on this, we get this idea that Joseph was a tattletale, that Joseph was just being this evil brother, and that he was coming in and he was, he was plotting against his brothers. Understand this. And if you read Genesis 38, Judah was not a good guy. You guys got that, okay? I'm not even going into that story. But go to Genesis 38. What Judah does is a terrible thing. He is not a good person. He was not a man of integrity. It's a mess. So the word dysfunction, does the word dysfunction coming to mind? When, are you with me, guys? So when it says this, that Joseph gave an evil report, he was being honest. He was telling his fathers, man, and so Joseph, whether he likes it or not, he is the one of a, a man of integrity. Joseph is the one that that yes, he's favored, and we're going to see this in a moment, and this caused problems, all right? But understand this, his brothers were not good boys, and he wasn't just a tattletale, and yes, he was going home and bringing a report, but Joseph was honest, and he, and he didn't hold back, and he told his father the truth of what his brothers and how they're behaving. But it does say this, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe for him. Many believe a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not. Notice it says they could not speak a kind word to him. Man, this must have been a tough, tough environment, tough place to live. And then on top of it, Joseph's going to share his dreams now. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he, and he said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. 
His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. This is where Joseph, crucial mistake, all right? You told them the first time, and they hate you, and they can't even speak kind, you know, they despise you. Now, you, you know, man, you got to just tell it again. You got to tell them another one. He said, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He doesn't even leave any doubt now. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, here we go. Let's see what happens here. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their flocks near where? Hmm, Shechem. What happened in Shechem? Bad things happened in Shechem, right? Okay, this is what word part of the story comes to mind. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. I'm going to send you to them. He says, very well, he replied. So he, he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. It's possible he's worried because he knows his boys are going to an area where they had killed a lot of people. In fact, the reason why they left is Jacob said that their numbers outnumber us, and if we don't leave this area, they could overwhelm us. They could kill us all. And now his sons are taking the flock to go and to, to, to feed them there. And so he may be concerned and worried, and so he's sending Joseph because they've been gone for a long time, and he says, bring word back. So he sends them off from the Valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, notice this, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. Picture this now. They see their brother coming from a long way off. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that the ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into a cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. And they took him and they threw him into a cistern. And the cistern uh, was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Hmm. Coming from Gilead, these are, I, would, I guess you could put it in biblical terms, maybe cousins. They're family. They're related. They have the same great-grandfather. Their great-grandfather's Abraham. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, 
What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and, lay, uh, and, and not lay our hand on him. After all, and I think this is sarcasm here, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. And he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they they got Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood. And they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And he recognized and he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him. Notice these words here, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, while they're mourning and while his father is mourning, it says, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Notice the mourning of Joseph's father, Jacob. I would say to you that most likely Jacob, he's obviously mourning the death of his son. But beyond that, how many of you agree that maybe he feels somewhat responsible? He feels guilty. Because he sent his son alone to go check on his brothers and And I'm sure it just ate away at him. If I just, if I wouldn't have sent him or if I would have had him go along, the what ifs, are you with me? And so he's carrying the guilt, carrying the guilt of the the death of his his son and carrying that guilt. And and I can't imagine, and that's where the Bible says, he he says, "I, I will never be comforted until I'm someday with Joseph, until I'm reunited, until I'm joined with Joseph. Obviously, he loved Joseph. Obviously, he was a son who was favored by his father. But I do believe that he carried that guilt. I can't even imagine that these brothers would allow their father to carry that guilt for all these years. Which is for later in the story. This is a powerful story, the story of Joseph. A powerful story. And as we just kind of introduce this today, I want to take just a few moments. And basically, I've already preached almost the entire message, kind of getting you caught up to where we are. But one thing I want you to understand is that God is sovereign. And we're going to see that very powerfully. And that is the main theme of the entire entire life and story of Joseph in this series. But I also believe that there are other many amazing things that we can learn from that in this story. God's people will go through tragedy. God's people 
will experience trials. God's people sometimes will go through trauma. Do you understand that? Just because Joseph, and by the way, God had his hand on Joseph. We will see it. And the Bible says God was with Joseph. But just because God is with us and God has his hand on us does not mean that there will not be trials and struggles and difficulty. Joseph is a perfect example of that. We see many examples through Bible, but Joseph is an example of this. That God's people will go through difficult times. The story of Joseph also, I believe, tells us that there's a much bigger picture. Because if you, as we look at the life of Joseph, if Joseph just looks at himself and looks at his own life, he can very quickly get caught up with with, with what's going on with him and only him. But understand this, that God has a much bigger picture and that God has much more in store and that God is, that his ways, as Isaiah 55 says, Isaiah tells us this, that his ways and his thoughts are higher. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So when you think about the story of Joseph and when you look at Joseph, if, 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 we're, if we're honest, we realize that, that God has a much bigger picture. There's a lot much more taking place. But if we just single out Joseph and think about just Joseph and, and, and we put ourselves in Joseph's sandals or in his shoes, there could be, I believe he could have been like, why is this happening to me? What is going on? What is all of this? And of course, we're going to unravel a lot of what Joseph went through. But why? Why me? Why this? What's happening? And here's what you have to remember. When you look at the story of Joseph, you realize as you read the rest of the chapters and when you see the end that God had a much bigger purpose and plan. And so in your life, do not forget this. When you're going through trial, when you're going through trauma, when you're going through struggles, and adversity, understand this, that, that, that there is a much bigger picture. There is a lot more at stake. There's a lot more going on than what's just happening in my little life. Are you with me, guys? There's so much more. And that God in his sovereign hand is moving and acting and he is working. Understand this. Another amazing aspect of this story is this, is that God keeps his promises, that God keeps his word. And we had the, the reason why you say, Joe, why did you go all the way back to Abraham and talk about Abraham and then Isaac and then now Jacob and now Joseph? Because all of this story is this, that his ways are much greater than our ways. His thoughts are much greater than our thoughts. It goes back to the fact that God made a promise to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And you, you will be a great people. And through you will come the Messiah. Through you will come the Savior of the world. And you understand that God who is sovereign and God who's in control, he knew about a famine that would be coming. He knew 20 years in advance 
This is all things that God is doing 20 years in advance in order to keep his promise. Because if, if Joseph is not in Egypt, then they all perish and they all die. You see, he made a promise to Abraham. And he made a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and even with Jacob as Jacob wrestled with, with the angel of the Lord. And he made a promise to him. And in order to keep this promise, he has to allow Joseph to go through trial and difficulty so that at the end, 20 years later, 20 years later, Joseph will be able to be at the right place in the right position at the right time to save his family in order to keep the promise of God. I'm telling you, we have an awesome God. We do. And so his ways are much greater. His thoughts are much greater than our thoughts. And God does keep his word. And God keeps his promises. And boy, this is a whole other teaching, a whole other thing. But understand this, Satan was always at work. And I believe that the famine was from the enemy to try to break the promise of God. You'll see through scripture, you say, well, well, God's in control of, of nature. Yes, he is. But you'll see through scripture that there was even a time where Jesus rebuked the wind in the waves. Why? Because Satan tried to kill Jesus and his disciples on the boat when he was on his way over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Are you with me? Why? Because there was a demon-possessed man who was filled with thousands of demons, and he knew Jesus was on a collision course. And so he sends a storm. And this is one of the few times you'll see in the Bible where the Bible says Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves. Why? Because Satan was, is the prince and power of the air. The story of Job. Who sent the storms? Who sent the storms that killed Job's family? Was it God? No, it was not. It was the prince and power of the air. It was Satan. Are you with me? Is this registering? This famine, I believe, was demonic. It was, it was from the enemy in order to try to wipe out the promised seed, to wipe out and to keep God's promises from being fulfilled and to wipe out the nation of Israel. Just like we see when, when, when Jesus is born, what happens? The enemy sends in the, the Herod, a jealous uh, leader and king, in order to try to kill the infants, to kill the promised seed. Are you with me? It's good versus evil, spiritual warfare happening. And understand this, is that, that when we see the story of Joseph, God keeps his promises. And he allowed Joseph to go through these things so that he could preserve Joseph and his entire family. Now look at this picture just for a moment. And it's probably hard for you guys to see. But let me just give you some thought. They're down in Hebron, down at the bottom where Joseph started. And his brothers went up to Shechem. And I hope you can kind of see it. I don't know if it's good enough for you guys to see. But he goes up to Shechem. Now remember... This is kind of hostile territory because Joseph's brothers killed a bunch of people here. And then his other brothers came in and looted. I think Jacob's concerned for the safety of his sons, and so he sends Joseph because they've been gone for a long time. And so he sends Joseph, and it's called the, they would call it the ridge route. He went through rough territory 
and mountains. You say, well, how far did he go? Well, he traveled 50 miles. 50 miles, Joseph travels alone to go check on his brothers at Shechem. Remember the story when he gets to Shechem, he can't find his brothers. He's wandering around. It says he's out there in the field and he's just beside himself. He has no clue where they went. And some stranger says, hey, what are you doing out here in the middle of the field? Why are you wandering around? He says, well, I'm looking for my brothers who are grazing our flock. They're they're feeding our flocks, looking for our brothers, my brothers. And it just so happens that this guy happened to hear them say, let's go to Dothan. Coincidence? Hmm. So now Joseph travels, get this, another 15 miles. Let's put this in perspective. Joseph travels alone, rough territory, rough terrain, to go check on his brothers, basically from here to like Enterprise or so. That's a good ways. I get tired just driving over there, just being honest. So it took him some time to get there. When he gets there, he can't find his brothers. And so it just so happens that this guy says, well, they're in Dothan. Now he has to travel another 15 miles farther than probably here to pair one. I don't know about you, but if I were Joseph, I would have been kind of like, and this is where we see the character of Joseph. He's going to fulfill his mission. When he got there, he could have got to feel, oh, they're not here, and just went back home. But no, he said, I'm going to fulfill the mission that my father sent me on. His brothers are not there. We know the story. He travels the other 15 miles, and he goes to Dothan. And as he's on his way there, his brothers are plotting his death. They see him from a distance. Here comes that dreamer. Here he comes. They take him. They strip him of his robe. They were going to kill him. Reuben, who's not really a great guy, but says, well, we shouldn't kill our brother. Throw him in a cistern. There happens to be no water in his cistern. He throws him in. And if you look carefully, they're going to kill him, leave him there to die. But it just so happens that the Midianites, Ishmaelites, distant relatives, are coming through and going down to Egypt. And so they say, let's, let's sell him. And so they sell him for about $200 worth of silver. Let me give you a couple passages and we're finished. You ready? Isaiah 25, 8. He says this, he will swallow up the death forever. The sovereign, notice this word, the sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet says this, ah, sovereign Lord. You have made heavens and the earth. By your great power and outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. And one more. David says in First Chronicles, he says, let the heavens rejoice. He says, let the earth be glad. Why should we rejoice? Why should we be glad? Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. God is sovereign. God is in control. There are no, listen, God makes no mistakes. And understand this is that 
everything that transpired, everything that happened, there was a plan, a plan of God. In fact, when Joseph goes to Shechem, and when he's in Shechem, just by chance, there happened to be a man that knew where his brothers went. And he said, I heard them say, let's go to, to Dothan. That's all an act of God, God moving, God at work. And so Joseph, just thinking everything's fine, travels the 15 miles and goes to Dothan. By the way, if, if the fields that were there at Shechem, if they were still green, understand this, they never would have left. Why did they leave Shechem? Because they needed greener pastures. They took the 15 miles. They took the 15 miles to go to Dothan. Why did they have to go to Dothan? I'll tell you why. Because God already knew in advance that the Ishmaelites would be on their way to Egypt. Are you with me, guys? And if Joseph isn't at Dothan, then he does die in that cistern. And you say, well, no, his brother Reuben would have rescued him. And his brother Reuben would have brought him back. Then they probably would have found another way to kill him. Let's say that they don't. Then that's the worst part of the whole story. Because if Reuben gets his way and brings him back to his father, then yes, Joseph lives. But in about 20 years, the entire family dies. Are you with me? And so he has to go to Dothan. And so they go to Dothan to find the greener pastures. And at Dothan, where they're plotting to kill him, God is at work. God is moving. And God sends relatives, the Midianites, coming from Midian. And they're bringing, and it just so happens that at the exact time as they're plotting to kill Joseph, here, here they come. And so they sell him and they take him down to Egypt. And that is where we'll continue with the story later. But can I tell you something? If you get nothing else today, understand this. God is sovereign. You say, what does that mean? It means this, that God is on the throne, that God reigns, and that God is in control. And even when you don't think God is moving and God is working, can I tell you something? He is at work. Amen? And he is at work in your life, and he is at work in our lives and sometimes, even when we're going through difficult times, understand this, that there's a much bigger picture and that God is sovereign. He is in control and there are no coincidences. Amen? God is at work. The story of Joseph encourages us with this, that there is a sovereign hand of God at work in all of our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord, I pray that you... And so we want to welcome you this morning. We're going to kind of introduce the series this morning on Joseph and uh, jump right in just for the sake of time. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We'll begin reading there in just a moment. But we're going to start a series this morning on Joseph, God's sovereign hand in our lives. God is at work. God is in control. God is still on the throne even when it doesn't seem like that sometimes in our lives. And uh, as we'll be looking, that there will be times where you will go through difficult times. There will be struggles like Joseph experienced. And you'll have phones ringing and, and everything, you know. But Genesis chapter, I hope it's not mine. I think I turned mine off. I left mine sitting down there. If it is, somebody turned it off for me. But we'll be in Genesis 37. And uh, how many of you are somewhat familiar with the story of Joseph? Somewhat familiar? All right, uh, as a way of introduction, I'm going to read a few verses, and we're going to kind of go back just a little bit, backtrack a little bit, just to kind of help you see a little bit about his family. 
and a little bit about Joseph and kind of what leads up to what happens here in Genesis 37. So let's begin reading in verse number one. It says this, it says, And Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. We'll read the next verse. It says, This is the account of Jacob's family line. And then it brings and introduces Joseph, a young man of 17. So he's 17 years old at this time. But let's just pause for a moment uh, and be reminded of, of who is this Jacob? Uh, how do they end up here? And, and what is going on? And I want to just kind of do a little bit of a backstory, talk a little bit about little things that will lead us up to where we are right now. Um, so let me ask you this question. Uh, does anyone know who Jacob's uh, father is? Because it says he came back to the land of, of, of his father. Who was his father? Anyone remember? It was Isaac. Very good. He was Isaac. And who was Isaac's father? Abraham. And so let's go back just for a moment. Just bear with me. It'll all tie into this passage just in just a few minutes. But we got to go back to Abraham. Many refer to him as the father of our faith. You have Abraham, right? And Abraham married a woman, and her name was Sarah. You guys got to help me. Abraham and Sarah. Remember, they could not have uh, children, and, and they wanted to have children. And, and, and on top of that, God said to Abraham, he made a promise, he made a covenant. He says, I will make of you a great nation. And through you, there will be a great nation. Beyond that, he said, through you, the, the Messiah will come. And he spoke and he prophesied and, and told Abraham that the Savior would come through his lineage and through the, the family of Abraham. And so you have Abraham and Sarah, and if you recall what happens is they begin to get way up there in years, and they keep saying, where is this promised child that you've promised us? And then they got to a point where they were beyond childbearing years, and they were not able to have a child. They weren't able to have this son, and even they began to doubt. And Sarah especially began to doubt. And so she said, take my handmaid, take uh, one of our, our servants, and basically this is Old Testament, old-time surrogate, basically, and said, I want you to have a child with her, and this will be the answer. This, we're going to help God out. By the way, God doesn't need us to help him out with his plans. And if you remember the story, remember what happens, he, he, he listens to his wife and he does what Sarah asked him to do and they have a child. Does anyone remember the name of the child? What is his name? Ishmael. His name will be mentioned in just a moment. So I promise that we're going somewhere. His name was Ishmael. But this was not the promised seed that God was speaking of. He said it would be through your own blood and through your own family and through a promise that I have given to you. And when they were way beyond childbearing years, a miraculous thing happens. She is able to, to give birth to a child, and she has a son, and his name is Isaac. Very good. And Isaac. And then what we realize is this, is that um, Isaac then uh, marries Rebecca. Do you guys remember Isaac and Rebecca? And so you have the story of Isaac and Rebecca. And God is going to bless them, and they're going to have sons, twin sons. And these two uh, are born, and their names were Jacob and... You guys are awesome. Thank you. Because I'm going from memory here, too. So you have Jacob and Esau. The firstborn was Esau, all right? But the Bible says that Jacob held on to the heel of his, of his brother, 
Esau. He was holding on and clinging on. And, and, and there's really a struggle going on with, even within the womb. And there's a struggle between these, these two. And the Bible says through these two will be two nations. We won't go there, but if you were to read uh, the t- previous chapter, Genesis 37, you have Esau and his descendants became the Edomites, the land of Edom, present-day Jordan. And, of course, Jacob, as he wrestled with God later in the book of Genesis, we find that Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to what? Israel. And now we have the nation of Israel today. All this ties in. What I want you to understand and come to reality is, is you're going to see that if there's one word that sums up the family And as we're getting ready to read here in a few moments, the rest of the story with Joseph and his family is it is a very dysfunctional family. Because you have Jacob and Esau. Remember, Jacob was loved by mom and kind of the favorite. And so what does Rebecca do? She favors him and she wants him to have the blessing. And Esau was the favorite of of his father. Of, of, of Isaac, and he was a, a hunter, and, and he went out and he hunted, and the Bible says there were two complete opposites, but we begin to see this dysfunction. We're going to begin to see that there's going to be issues and problems, because what happens is even under the influence of his mother, we see that Jacob, he, again, he's the one holding on to the heel. He wants to have the birthright. He wants to have the blessing. He knew the promise of God, of the coming of the Messiah. He understood many of these things. And Jacob, Jacob wanted that blessing. Jacob wanted the birthright. And so what does he do? Remember when Esau was starving, Esau was hungry, and he came back. You guys remember he's out hunting, and, he, and he's like, I'm starving to death. I'm just starving. And Jacob says, well, give me your birthright. He says, sell it to me. He says, for, for what? He says, well, here's a bowl of beans. You can ha- give me the birthright for this bowl of beans. And boy, Esau, what an idiot, you know? He got tricked by his brother. And so for a bowl of beans, he sold his birthright. The scriptures tell us in the New Testament, he later regretted that decision and that choice. But not only did Jacob want the birthright, which we would, and our idea is that of like an inheritance. He wanted the blessing. And so do you remember in the story of, of, uh, with Jacob and Esau, as his father's getting older, Isaac's eyes are dim and he's blind and he can't see very well. And so mom says, this is our chance. We'll deceive your father. Think about this. Think about this. We're going to lie. We're going to deceive him. We're going to get him to give you the blessing. Remember, he takes the animal fur and he puts it on his arms because the Bible says Esau was a hairy man. The word Esau means red. He's very red complexion. And so he, he, Jacob disguises himself and he goes in and he tricks his brother, tricks his, his brother out of that blessing. And he tricks his own father into blessing him and giving him the blessing. And once he does, it's too late. And so Jacob then receives the blessing. So now he has the birthright and he has the blessing. And in essence, what he's saying is, is he went from being the the younger of the two to being the older. And now he gets this blessing. The Bible tells us that Esau is so angry and so upset 
that he's looking for opportunity to kill his own brother. And so, you know, as this story goes, mom says to Jacob, you need to leave. Go over to Uncle Laban's. Go to Uncle Laban. Go there and, and find a wife there. And she, she tricks her husband into allowing all of this. And so he goes. By the way, it's all part of God's plan. And you say, like, this, this is getting deep. It gets deeper, okay? Just follow me. This is the backstory. So Jacob has to leave his brother, leave his father and mother, and he goes back to the land of his heritage. And there he moves in with Uncle Laban. And while he's there, he, he, he sees the daughter of Laban. And she's beautiful. And her name is, anyone remember? Rachel. Very good. Sees Rachel. And he says, I want to marry your daughter. And this was one of the purposes for him to go back was to, to go back and to marry from within their own family and their belief system. And so Laban, Laban you know, says, you can marry her, but you have to work seven years in order to marry her. I kind of like that idea, you know? <laughs> I love this idea. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to wait seven years, Sam, just a couple more months, all right? Just a short time, future son-in-law back there. And so he labors seven years, and Laban is, is a hard taskmaster. He's awful. And so he labors seven years, and you know what happens? On his wedding day, there's an older sister named Leah. The Bible says Rachel was, was beautiful and attractive. She had a the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. She had an attractive body, and she was a, had a beautiful face. And it says of Leah, it kind of just says this that she was had dim eyes or weak of eyes. People don't know what that means, but in, on, in that, honestly, I think it's the Bible's polite way of saying Leah was not very good looking, and Rachel was beautiful. And man, he was smitten by her. And then when he was married to her. She has all the veil and all the garb. You can't make this stuff up. By the way, this would make a great series, right? You know. <laughs> he wakes up the next day and realizes he was deceived by his father, well, his father-in-law now. Laban deceived him and tricked him. And he says, well, if you want to marry the younger daughter, you have to work another seven years, 14 years of labor to marry the one that he wanted to marry. By the way, can I just say this? What goes around comes around. <laughs> what you sow, you will reap. Here he deceived and tricked his own father and his brother and was deceitful and conniving. Boy, this runs in the family, right? Apples don't fall far from the trees. And what do we see? We see Laban doing the same thing to poor Jacob. Then the Bible says that Jacob then labors another six years. He's there 20 years. And finally, things are getting bad. Laban's sons are jealous and angry and they're speaking evil of, of Jacob and his family and God's blessing was upon him and Jacob realized we have to leave. We have to get out of here. And so he begins to make the journey to go back home. To go back home to see his father, Isaac, who's up in years. And of course, on his way back, he wrestles with the Lord. And on his way back, we'll see that he, he meets up later with his brother Esau and they make amends. But as Jacob is working his way back, we won't turn there, but in Genesis 34, something happens. And that leads us to where we are here in the next verse. 
Because we see that Joseph is a young man. He's 17 years old. He's out working with his brothers. And remember, there's, Jacob has basically four wives. And he's fathered children to all four of these wives. Joseph was the next to the youngest. There was Joseph and then later Benjamin was born. And they're making their way back and they land in the area of Shechem. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But what I want you to see is this, is that this is a dysfunctional family, that there is jealousy, that there is envy, uh, that there is favoritism, and there's all of these things taking place. But then Joseph does something. It says this, that he was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of, of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. The original language literally means this, their evil report or bad reputation, that they had a bad reputation. You see, sometimes when we read this, we don't know the full story of what Joseph's family was like. Joseph's brothers were not good guys. If you were to read in Genesis 34, it's a crazy story, amazing, like, wow. But this gives you an idea of what his brothers were like. You see, what happened was this. They had a sister named Dinah. And Dinah, the Bible says she went out into the community, out into the area to, to kind of make friends and hang out with the other girls. And the Bible says that, that a guy named Shechem, okay, which the, the land of Shechem was named after him, saw her and saw that she was beautiful and wooed her. And a long story short, he, he has premarital relations. They have sexual relations and he defiles her. And when Joseph's brothers find out, they are angry and they're, they're upset because their father doesn't really do much about it. In fact, they come, Shechem and his father come and they say to, to, to Jacob, they say, well, we want to intermarry and we, my son loves her. He loves her and wants to marry her. And the brothers were upset because they went, they went about it completely the wrong way. All right. And they said, no, this isn't right. They said, well, you want to intermarry with us? They, they say, what you need to do is then you need to become like us and you need to be circumcised. And the Bible says it was a plot. It was a plan, premeditated plan, so that the men would become circumcised so they could go in and kill all of them. And so they agree. They say, okay. And so they make a pact and they make an agreement. And so all the men from Shechem, they're on the same time, they all are circumcised. By the way, the Bible's like, wow, there's a lot in here, right? How would you put that into a movie, you know? But it's two names are mentioned, two of the brothers are mentioned, that after a few days when the men are sore and not able to move, they come in, and the Bible says they kill every, all the, the, the mature men. They kill them all. They slaughter them, cold blood. And they leave. The Bible then goes on to tell us in Genesis 34 that some of the other brothers saw what happened. And the Bible says this, that they looted the land of Shechem. They took all of their livestock and all of their cattle, mentions the donkeys and everything that they owned, they took. And then it says this, it says they took the women and the children as their own possessions. And I would surmise this, they probably sold them into slavery. These are really good guys, by the way, aren't they? Joseph's brothers. As Joseph and his family is moving back, the Bible says that, that Jacob's wife, in bearing the child of, of uh, Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, 
that she dies in childbirth. And right after, shortly after, Reuben, the oldest, out of spite, goes in and sleeps with one of Jacob's wives. In fact, you'll read in Genesis 50 that he loses the blessing from his father. His father never forgot that. Reuben will be mentioned in a moment. Good guy, huh? Beautiful family. Just, I mean, great family. Amen? <laughs> By the way, we're all pretty dysfunctional if we're honest. Amen? <laughs> you say, I'm not at that level. Thank the Lord. But God still can use us in spite of us. Amen? This is, this is crazy stuff. Are you with me? Are you guys getting this? So they kill everyone in Shechem, and Jacob says, we have to leave. We have to get out of here. He says, what you did is a horrible thing. They could, they could kill us. And so he goes back to the land of where his father is, and where we get caught up is his father's dying, and he buries his father. And now they've established themselves in the Hebron Valley. Notice the continual cycle here. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe for him. So he's singling him out. He's putting a beautiful robe. Some versions say a coat of many colors. And when his brothers saw their, their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not, they could not speak a kind word to him. Can you imagine the toxic environment of this home, of this family? And then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. That went over really well. <laughs> his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him. Notice this all the more. They already hated him. Did this added fuel to the fire? They hated him all the more because of his dream, because of what he had said. Joseph doesn't quite get it. Then he had another dream. He didn't keep it quiet. He tells it. He says, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he had told his father... As well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, will we and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to, to graze their flocks near, can you say the next word with me? Shechem. This is why it's important. Just bear with me. Think of that place where they went. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. And so he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. It's possible that Joseph is worried and concerned. They've been gone for a long time. He knows that they went into Shechem to, to graze the flocks. And this is where his brothers did the dastardly deed. And this is where they did what they did. And now they had to leave for their own safety. It's possible that he's concerned and worried that maybe their sins have come back to haunt them. Are you with me this morning? And so he sends Joseph on this mission to go and check on his brothers. Where? In Shechem. 
So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers, and then bring back word. And he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, notice this, a man found him. Picture Joseph. He's a 17-year-old teenage guy, and he's walking around out there in the fields, and he can't find him. And the man says to him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? He said, they have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan. But notice this picture, this, but they saw him in the distance as he's making his way to Dothan. It's a valley there. There's a rich valley and their flocks are being Fed, it says this, that they plotted to kill him. So they're premeditating, plotting to kill their own brother. And they're probably thinking, what a perfect time and perfect opportunity so far from home. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him. Picture this. They ripped the robe off of him that he was wearing. And they took him and they threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of, say it with me, Ishmaelites. These are relatives. They had the Sate great-grandfather Abraham coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices and, and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, think about the sarcasm here. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. How cold, how calloused. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. I'm thinking, he's thinking, okay, the prank's over, the joke's over. No. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. It's about $200 worth of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the cistern, saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe. They're all part of this. They slaughtered a goat. They dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it. And he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him and never stopped weeping for him. And while he is mourning and weeping and grieving, 
the loss of his son, it says this, meanwhile, the Midianites, those Ishmaelites, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is just the beginning and the introduction to the story of Joseph. I want to just remind you of something that these men had to live with this lie. They had to watch their father mourn and grieve the loss of his son. I would propose to you as well that Jacob probably blamed himself and carried a great weight of guilt. Would you agree with me? Thinking that it, what if I didn't send him? Or what if I would have allowed him to go with them? Or what if I didn't send him up on that mission and all the what-ifs, and here he's thinking and believing that his son was killed because of a decision and a choice that he made. And so for many years, he's going to live with this guilt. In the meantime, his own sons, knowing the truth, watch their father suffer. The story of Joseph is a powerful story. It's a rags-to-riches story, if you will, where a nobody becomes a somebody but I want to just take a few moments, and we only have just a few moments, but I want to just, as we think about the overview of this story, there's a few great truths just even in this chapter alone and in the story of Joseph that we can, we can grab a hold of when we think of the overarching thought of the story of Joseph, and that is this, is that God has much bigger plans than what we initially see. You see, Joseph, in his small mind, in his small thoughts, I'm sure of everything that he went through, he didn't realize that God had much bigger plans, that there was a greater plan in store and that God was truly at work. You see, Isaiah 55 says it like this. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts, God speaking, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If we're not careful in our lives when we're going through adversity, going through trials, going through struggle, and by the way, let me just back up for a moment. Listen to me, Joseph was faithful to God. He was a man of integrity and he loved God and he was a follower of God and we see that in his life. But it does not mean that there will not be Tragedy. It does not mean that if you are a follower of God that you will not experience trials and testing. Joseph is going to experience an unbelievable amount of trauma and trials and testing. So do not believe the lie that says, well, if you're a follower of God, that it's always going to be easy. No, my friend. Can I tell you something? There will be difficulty. But the good news is, is this. In Genesis 39, it says three times, the Lord was with Joseph. He did not abandon Joseph. But Joseph, like us many times, I believe, only saw what was happening right here, right now, what is going on in my life. And many times we don't understand that there is a much bigger picture, that God, his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. His ways are much greater than our ways. So I have an amen this morning. And he sees the beginning from the end. And so Joseph, not understanding all that is going to take place and why all of this must happen to him, he experiences tragedy. He experiences trials and testing and trauma. The story of Joseph tells us that God has much bigger plans. 
The story of Joseph tells us that God keeps his promises. And on a casual observance, maybe we're thinking of the dreams that he gave Joseph and that he will fulfill those promises he made to Joseph. But there's a much bigger picture because his thoughts and his ways are greater than ours. And it is simply this. It is that God made a promise hundreds of years before to a man named Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And through this great nation, I will bring a deliverer. Not Moses, one greater than Moses. I am going to bring a deliverer. And his name, we know him as Jesus. But there is going to be one who will save the world from their sins. There will be a savior who will come through your family and through your nation and through your blood. You see, God's plans are much bigger than ours. His thoughts are much greater than ours. And so God was going to keep, yes, God's going to keep the promise that he made to Joseph, that you will be a great leader, and that, yes, there will be those who will bow down to you. But the plan was much bigger than that, and that was this, is that he was going to use Joseph to keep his promise, to keep the nation of Israel alive, because God knew in advance that in 20 years there will be a great famine like this earth has never seen. The Bible says that the earth had a great famine and God had Joseph in Egypt already there and ready and prepped and prepared to save his people from the destruction of the famine. Are you with me? God was at work. So God keeps his promises. He's going to keep his promise to preserve the nation of Israel. And then we see this as we kind of close up for this week, we see that God's sovereign hand at work. That God is sovereign and that God is at work. A few quick passages. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8. He says, I will swallow up death forever. Through Isaiah the prophet he says this, the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Notice the next passage. Jeremiah says this. We read it earlier. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. David said in 1 Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles 16, he says this. Let the heavens rejoice. Why should the heavens rejoice? Let the earth be glad. Why should the earth be glad? Why should you and I be glad? He says, this is why. He says this. He says, the Lord reigns. Can I remind you of something? God is sovereign. God is in control. Amen? And nothing takes God by surprise. God was at work in Joseph's life, in every little detail of his life. I want to just show you a quick map. If we could have that map up there. I don't know if you'll be able to see it. But I want you to see how God is moving at work in every little detail of the life of Joseph. There's going to be a famine that's going to come and decimate the earth. The Bible talks about the whole earth like it was a bad famine. And he needs to have Joseph where he needs to be in order to save his family, in order to keep God's promises. So in the midst of all this dysfunction and his brother's jealousy and envy, we see that Joseph sent on a mission to go see his brothers. He's sent to go to Shechem, and if you see there, he starts down at the bottom. He's down in Hebron, goes up through 
the Hebron Valley up through past Jerusalem, through Bethlehem, through Bethel, and he goes to Shechem. By the way, it's about a 50 or so mile rough terrain. They called it the ridge route. And he makes a 50 plus miles, 50 miles. Like, let's put this in perspective. That's like here to Enterprise, almost here to St. George area alone. And he's going to make this journey. And the Bible says that he gets to Shechem. When he gets to Shechem, remember the story? Where is he? I don't know. I have no clue. And just by chance, there happened to be a guy out in the fields. And he says, hey, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? What are you doing out here? You kind of look lost. And he says, well, I'm looking for my brothers. They were, you know, grazing the flocks here. And they said, he said, oh, well, they went, to, they went to Dothan. They went to Dothan. And I happened to hear them say, let's go to Dothan. Just by chance. So Joseph, we see the character and integrity of Joseph. He could have just said, forget it, and went home. But he's going to go, and he's going to check on his brothers and bring back word. He has to travel another 15 miles to Dothan. So he travels another 15 miles. That's like here to what? Like Parowan or so? Through rough terrain, alone, wild animals, enemy, you know, this is enemy territory. So he makes the trip. So he makes a total of a 65-mile trip. But here's, here's what I want you to see where we're truly seeing God at work. Because when he gets to Dothan, his brothers already have a plot to kill him. And in this plot, then God works in Reuben, and Reuben, Reuben's like, no, let's not kill him. You know, let's, let's throw him in a cistern, and then he's going to try to protect him. And what we see is this, is that bought some time, because while they're at Dothan, do not miss this, if they were at Shechem, they would have missed the Ishmaelites who were on their way to Egypt. Joseph would have been killed. You say, well, no, Reuben would have spared his life. That's even worse. Because if Joseph's life is temporarily spared, what's the end of the story? The end of the story is this. Joseph doesn't end up in Egypt, and Joseph doesn't become the second most powerful man on the earth. And through his wisdom and through the dreams that he was able to interpret, he does not have the ability to save his family. And so, therefore, his family dies the Israelite nation is wiped out, and you and I, we don't have a Savior. Now, come on, guys. God is an awesome God. And he intentionally allowed the, 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 the grass. God's like, let's let the grass here, uh, here in Shechem, let's let that dry up, or let's let them eat it all. Maybe the sheep had really big appetites. They were teenage sheep, and they ate all the grass. And so now they have to go to Dothan. Here's the, here's the amazing thing, is that Dothan is where the Ishmaelites, there was a, it's a main th thoroughfare for the traders, and they go down into Egypt. Had they not been at Dothan, had Reuben not spoken a word and bought some time, the brother would have been dead. But it just so happened that as they're sitting there, plotting to, to, to basically leave their brother there to die, here comes the Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And then the story just gets bigger and better. And of all the places, he ends up in Potiphar's house. And the story goes on and on and on. And so I say to you, as God's people, I want to encourage you with a number of things. That, that his ways are much higher than our ways. And when you're going through trial, when you're going through trouble, when it seems as though you're going through these things... God has not abandoned you. Somebody say amen there. Amen. He is with you. 
to keep God's promises in your mind, that God keeps his promises. And when God made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and even to Joseph, God kept his promise. And that his ways are much greater than our ways. His plans and his thoughts are much higher than ours. And I want to encourage you as God's people that when you're going through trial, when you're going through trouble, when you're going through trauma and tribulation and all of these things, to know this. As you leave here this week and you go out and live Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and go through life, to know this is that there is a God who is still on the throne and he is sovereign and he is in control. And he is at work in every little detail of your life. There are no coincidences. There are no accidents. God is in control. And all God's people said this morning, amen. And he is in control in your life and in my life. We have a sovereign God who is at work. May that encourage you to be faithful to him and to follow him, even through the trials and the tribulations. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word this morning. We had to cover so much ground.